You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, February 25, 2024. For more information about SVBC, visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. I saw a video more recently of Nicole C. Mullins doing that song. I'll tell you what. Like a fine wine, she's uh, she she just keeps getting better with age. Her voice just keeps getting stronger. <laughs> I mean, she's she is something else. My redeemer lives. Today, today it gets real. As we've been talking about recovery and you know, celebrate recovery and this recovery process of being trying to be, move into a healthier place. I know it may have seemed like the last six or seven weeks, it may have seemed like, man, we're just really, it just seems like it's, it, it's just, you know, kind of the same, same thing that's it's just kind of adding little pieces. And the reason why is the foundation for recovery had to be laid. Why, why would we spend so much time on, on just, just, just that relationship with Christ? First of all, because you can't get healthier without Christ. He is the foundation. It, 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 you know, the story I talked about it the, other, the other Sunday, you know, the, the house built on sand and the house built on the rock. For, for, your, for your journey to be in a healthier place, your house has to be built on the rock of Jesus Christ. Because it's the only thing that... that, that First of all, it's the only thing that when, when the storm comes, the rock built on Christ will stand. From this point forward in, in recovery, it gets hard. It gets, this is where it gets real. This is where we really start talking about stuff. We're going to start looking at something we call an inventory. We're going to talk about it, and I'm going to show you what one looks like. This is, this, is, this is where we really start going back, back and looking at our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. But we spent a lot of time talking about a relationship with Christ, and we talked about last week the need for people to be along with us in the journey. So from this point forward, if you have, you, you have to be strong in the Lord, and you have to connect with somebody. Somebody that will hold you accountable, somebody that will love on you when it gets hard, because it's going to get hard. When, when, when I prayed about this, and we now talk about doing this, this Celebrate Recovery series, I, I knew that this is the point we would get to. I knew this would get to the point where we had to deal with hard things. The acrostic, the acrostic for this week is moral. Again, principle four. Am I on? Yep, I was on. Thank you, David. <laughs> principle four is openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Openly examine and confess. This is where we're starting this week. We're going to start putting this into practice. Happier the pure in heart. Matthew 5, 8. In the more traditional step, step four, 
we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Lamentations 3.40, let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. The immoral. We're going we're gonna to talk about this acrostic, and then I'm going to talk about an inventory. But the first part when doing an inventory is you need to make time. Job 33.33 says, Then listen to me, keep silent, and I will teach you wisdom. When we're beginning to look through our lives and look into our past and look at what kind of what makes us tick, this is something that you need to carve time out of your day for. You know, I've been talking about some spiritual disciplines over the last year and a half. I might not have called it that, but that I've told you about carving out time for the Lord, that's a spiritual discipline. It's something that, that that's something you need to discipline yourself. You know, 5, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, you carve out a time in your day where you spend time with the Lord, where he has your undivided attention. You turn that phone off. You know, get away from the computer. Put the paper down. Whatever it is that you like, whatever it is you do. Now, here's another one. We're starting to do an inventory, a moral inventory of ourselves. Don't think about this going down the road in your car. You know, what... My hurt and hang up, my hurt habit or hang up, you know, it originates here. You know, don't, don't, don't do that. Take a little bit of time out of your day to, to pay attention to this. And again, I'm going to talk about what an inventory is, but it's important that you carve out time to do this. It's to take time to do an inventory and to look back. Don't, don't take this lightly. Don't, don't let this be just the you know, a few minutes in your day and you're passing, or just while you're trying to wake up when your mind's not all together there yet. The O is open. The, let me express my, my anguish. Let me be free to speak out of the bitterness of my soul. Job 11, 7 11, excuse me. Job 7 11. You need to be open about your feelings. Again, remember the principles in a step about being open and honest with yourself to God and someone you trust. You need to, you need to, you may have had a hurt or a hang-up that you've been guarding for many, many, many years. It's time to, to open up as we address these hurts, habits, and hang-ups that, that you let go and let God. And there's a cliche for you, but it's true. You need to be open to the process. You need to be open to the emotions. You need to be open to, to the God himself as, as, as the Father tries to touch our hearts in this process. Let the Holy Spirit do its thing. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, any step in this, this inventory process we're going to be talking about, every step from here forward, I also encourage you to start it with prayer. Start it with prayer. You want the Holy Spirit to guide your recovery, period. Because I'll tell you what, when you start looking at the past, when you start looking at things that have harmed you or hurt you, and maybe even jacked us up a little bit, when we start messing with this stuff from our past, it has a way of really bringing up emotions and pain and all kinds of squirrely things that could be going on inside of us. That's why we need to let the Holy Spirit 
who knows your past, who knows how you tick, who knows everything about you. You need to let the Holy Spirit be open to the Holy Spirit and trust Him in the process. He's going to guide it, but you've got to let Him. The R in morals rely. Love the Lord. This is Psalm 31, 23 through 24. Love the Lord, all of you who are His people. For the Lord protects those who are loyal to him. So cheer up. Take courage if you are depending on the Lord. And again, this goes back to our first seven weeks. You have to trust in the Lord in the process. Your life may have taught you not to trust people. And sometimes when life has taught you not to trust people, sometimes it's hard to trust God. Why? Because that's what we've learned about our relations. That's what we've learned about relationships. If we don't trust people at all, if we're just completely blocked off, sometimes we can be blocked off from God. But we need to trust in the Lord in this process. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about church talk. I'm not talking about church talk where you come in and you sit down, sit down on the pews like, I trust the Lord with all my heart. I'm not talking about Lord lip service. This is what I want to say because I'm in church. This is where you really need to rely on God. And it might even be, I know we've spent a lot of time on it, but it might even be, God, help me trust you. Help me. You need to be honest with God because God knows where you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what's happened to you. He knows all of that stuff. He knows everything you've done. So you need to lean on him. You need to trust him. People have let you down. God has never let you down. He may not have answered a prayer the way that you wanted it to be answered. He may have taken something that you think he shouldn't have taken there could be, this, this scenario could play itself out in a hundred ways. But we need to rely on the Lord and trust that he is a good, good father. And that all good gifts come from him. And one of those good gifts is going to be your recovery. Your bouncing back, your healing. You need to trust in him for this. The A is Analyze. The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience we cannot hide from ourselves. Proverbs 20, 27. When I talk about what an inventory is here soon, we don't have slides for it. But I'm going to talk about it. When we get to that point, you need to analyze. You need to look to your past. You need to, we're going to talk about the person that may have injured us. We're going to talk about what they did to us. We're going to talk about the effect that it had on us. We're going to talk about all of these things. This requires you to put your mind to work on this. You're going to have to be all in. I'm telling you, recovery is not something taken lightly. You have to be all in. From here forward, 
from now until we're done this, this, this sermon series sometime in July, you have to be all in. And you might not even be healed by the, by the time July runs around, but you will have all the tools that you need to be in a healthier place. Recovery isn't something that you do in a six-month process. It can be a lifetime process. Some of these things you will have to do over and over again. When we talk about inventory, when we talk about what that is, you might have an inventory now. As you get into a healthier place, you might do it all over again. You might have somebody else you need to deal with, another hurt habit or hang-up you need to deal with. This is something you will have to do over and over and over. It didn't take six months to get you into this place. It's going to take more than six months for real change. Does God have the ability to heal you like that? He does. I've seen it happen. But for the most part, it's a process for us. Why God chooses to bring instant healing to some and some of us, he doesn't, I don't, I don't know. And that, that's just his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He knows why he does what he does. It's not willy-nilly. He's not up there jerking our chains and deciding who he wants to be nice to and who he does. That's not, that's not what, he is always good. So this process, this, this process may take, it may take us some time. And the L is list. And we're going to really dive into that here in a second. David, could you help me out? Maybe he can. <laughs> well, it's list. <laughs> the passage is, let us examine our ways and test them. And I don't know why I'm not working. We're going to make a list of things that we need to trust the Lord with. So what is an inventory? The inventories that, we that we're going to be doing has five parts to it. I'm going to, if I can screenshot something and print it off, Celebrate Recovery actually makes an inventory sheet. We actually have permission to do that. When you buy this, you get the rights to do that. This is where it begins to get real. Your inventory, the first thing that you're going to want to write down on your list and I encourage you, actually, I want to stop there for a second. This inventory, buy a notebook, buy something that, where you can write things on, you can tuck that thing away, and you can pull that thing out every day and look at it. Journaling, we haven't gotten to journaling, we haven't talked about journaling. I would strongly suggest that you, buy, you get a journal. No, guys, it's not a diary, what kind of is, but we're not going to call it that. Why should we be journaling? We need to be journaling, and the best thing to do, you can get them for a buck, those composition notebooks. Write about your thoughts. Write about how you're feeling. Write about the things that you're thinking as you're going through this process. Write about your pain. Write about the way these things, what kind of response or reaction it has in you. And the reason that you're going to do this is for a couple of reasons. One, once you put it down on paper and you're looking at it, it's real. It leaves thought world and it goes to real world. When you start writing this stuff down, here's the other thing. And this is where you're going to see the God, 
the, the God journey, where God has done something in your life, I promise you, when you write this stuff down, I want you to go back a year later and read it again. And you're going to see something. Like any healing, sometimes recovery is, comes in little steps, and you don't realize that, that, that you're, you're, you're one step closer to a healthier place. Sometimes when you look back in where you were at a year ago, and now you look at where you are now, you're like, well, wait a minute, God did something in my life. I didn't see it. It was in little pieces, little pieces, little pieces. But where you read where you're at right now, if you're writing down where you are right now, and you read that in a year, you're going to be surprised at what God has done in your life. I can assure you, God will do a thing in your life. If you do this process, he will do a thing in your life. The very first thing on your inventory is the person. It's, it, it, it would seem as though that every hurt, habit, and hang-up, it always seems to originate with something that has happened to us in our past, and it's usually a specific person where that pain started. This is why, this is why, it, this is the, the process I say it gets real now. Because I was talking about this a little bit in Sunday school. There's this, there's this thing that we have called repression. Repression in a healthy way is a short-term fix. Repression is not actually a bad thing in the short term. Your brain can only process so much hurts, so much pain, so much anguish, so much things, so much shock. That's why people go into shock, because their brain gets overloaded and they can't handle everything that's going on. So, so while you, this person has injured you in some way in your past, we have a tendency of repressing what we're feeling because we're trying to deal with it. Well, here's where repression when it, when it works well, you let that stuff come up a little bit at a time. It's there, and you deal with it. The next piece, the next layer of the onion, there it is, and you deal with it. So when we repress things, the goal is to slowly process everything that you've seen, everything that's happened. Everything that's, everything that's swirled around the event or the person, it's to slowly deal with this so you can deal with it in bite-sized chunks. But that's not how we end up dealing with it. That's not how re repression often works. A lot of times what happens is the event or the person is so, it causes so much pain, we stuff that thing down really, really low, and we want to leave it there. Well, what does it do? If you're not letting it go and dealing with it, and it's down here, it becomes like a cancer in your life. Let me tell you something about cancer. And I don't say this flippantly. I lost both of my parents to cancer. The thing is with cancer is it starts out as something little. And if it isn't caught and it isn't dealt with, it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger until it kills you. That's the way repression done wrong that's why it destroys lives, because you push it down, and you try to stand on it, you try to put a lock on it, you try to put all these things, and you never deal with the emotion, you never deal with the hurt, and it becomes a cancer that erodes away at your soul. I can promise you what I'm telling you is true. 
I've seen it. Seen it over and over and over. And I've talked about church. When, when, when my pastor as a teenager hurt me, I did, I did that thing. I sat on it, and it became a cancer in my life. I didn't trust pastors. Wasn't a real fan of the church. Still love God. But, I mean, I didn't like pastors. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> those, those, those people are dangerous. And for many years, I wanted to had nothing to do with the church or anyone, anyone who called themselves pastor. It became a cancer in my life. And I can assure you, regardless of who this person is that you're writing down, you need to look back. And again, open it in prayer. God, show me. Show me the starting point. Show me what I need to deal with first. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you to that column one person. And I'm going to tell you, and this is why you need to rely on the Lord. Because stuff is going to come out that you need the Lord to deal with it. You know, I talked about this in Sunday school. My statistic was wrong. According to Rain. R-A-I-N-N, it's, 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 it's an organization that deals with sexual assaults. The current statistic is one out of every six American women have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. So 14.8% of, of the women in America have been successfully raped. 2.8 was attempted. About 3% of American men, 1 in 33, have experienced the same. Let me tell you something about statistics. They're only as good as the truthfulness behind the person who's given the answers. That one in six, I guarantee you it's way more than that. That one in 33 of guys, it's way more than that. Let me tell you about crime statistics. Let me tell you about domestic assault, domestic abuse. The, this is real. This is real stuff. Seven times, the, st- the statistics tell law enforcement a woman is assaulted by their spouse seven times before they call the police the first time. The very first time. A spouse is assaulted seven times before they ever call the police. And once we get involved, that's something that it becomes a process. It becomes a cycle. It just keeps going on and on. This, this abuse goes on and on and on. There's many reasons even for that that we certainly don't have time to dig into on a Sunday morning service this late in the day. But this pain and this abuse, or this this sexual assault, it's happening more than what is being reported. One in six women, look around. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. So if if that statistic is right, by their statistics, at least three people in this room, three of these women in this room have been sexually assaulted in their life. I promise you it's more than that. Why? A, because I understand the way that it's reported. 
And B, I understand that especially in the older generation, they just never talked about it. Today's generation talks about it. And through education and a lot of public service stuff, it's being talked about now. It never, it has never, this, this isn't a new problem. This is a problem that goes way back to Genesis. And there's nothing new under the sun. I guarantee you, it's, these, these statistics are way, way worse. So this person, column one, the person, when you start talking about what hurts you, when you start talking about where your life has gotten derailed, where, you've, where things just started to go awry or things really just started to go wrong, you're going to have to deal with what happened to you. Whether it be a sexual assault, whether it be a physical assault, whether it's, whether it's someone who was just emotionally unavailable to you, whether it was somebody who just said something mean to you that just shook your core, whether, regardless of what it was, and this is often found within parent-child relationships. Disconnected parents. Parents who can't get along. Parents who don't give their, their children the time of day. All of these things, it's these things, all of these things have a way of just stirring up and impacting our lives. So in order to heal, you're going to have to deal with what that person did. And this is why from here forward, from here forward, you need to be real about this. We're not playing no games here. We're going to be talking about the things in your hurt, in your life, that make you bleed. I'm going to be asking you to look at the things that have just, just, just tore you up inside out, spit you up, chewed you up, and spit you out. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to look at things and people that have made you want to be distant from people to this day, disconnected from, from the church, disconnected from people who love you, disconnected from everything. So if you want to be healed, this, this, is, this, is, where, this is where real life and the church come together. If you, want, if you want healing, you have to do the process. You have to take the steps. You're going to have to put that person's name down on your column. We're going to talk about four other steps very quickly. Like I said, I'll print these, these things off and put them back in the, the purple table next week, these, these inventory sheets. If you, if you want one, fine. If you don't, but of the five columns we're going to talk about, your homework for this week, if you're real, if you want to be healthy, if you want to stop, if you want to stop hurting, if you want to stop having dysfunctional thinking, if you want to walk in freedom, you're going to have to put somebody in column one. Because that hurt, that habit of that hang-up started somewhere. Why do people... Well, this, is a, this is a recovery thing, too. Why, why do people become alcoholics? Why do the people become addicts? You think they woke up in the morning and said, like, oh, I'm going to be an alcoholic now. 
Or heck, I think I want to use crack cocaine. That just sounds like a cool thing to do. It's not the way it works. What happens is, is they have repressed that hurt. That person, that event, that thing, whatever that thing is, they've shoved it, they've shoved it, they've shoved it, they keep bubbling up. Well, what, why do they start using? Other than some people, it's, it's crazy things like peer pressure. But for many, it's because they just want to be numb. They want to forget the hurt. They want to forget the person. They want to forget the thing. And for that, those couple of hours of that day, they get to forget. It always comes back. Always. Always, always, always. So you're column one. You're going to pray. Holy Spirit, point me to what I need to deal with first. For some of you, that person might be your father. For some of you, that person might be your mother. For some of you, that might be your sibling. For some of you, that might be a spouse. For some of you, that may be your child. Nobody can hurt you like your child. But I need you to pray, Holy Spirit. Show me. Show me. I need you to pray, Father, I want to be serious about this. I want to be in a better place. Father, help me be in a better place. Holy Spirit, show me. And I need you to be brave enough and open enough to write that name down. Again, take it, out of the, take it out of the world of thinking and put it down in the world of the tangible. Write that name down. And that name, that's what we're going to be dealing with over the next few months. If you write two or three names, those are the names we're going to be dealing with the next two or three months. So the next thing on your list. First you have the person. Column two. Once you've, put, once you've written in column one the person, column two is easy. That's the cause. What did they do? Again, did they sexually abuse you? Did they hurt you with words? Did they not give you, give you shelter and attention that you needed? Whatever it is that the person did, you need to come up with their name and what it is they did. And again, you need to be writing this down. I know some of this might sound like, I, I talked about this in Sunday school, some of this might sound like psychobabble. Let me tell you, let me tell you about the world of, of, of psychology and psychiatry. Some of it's a bunch of junk. Some of it's very insightful. And when you're writing things down, it's making it real. 
You're writing it down for a reason. I'm not just trying to do some mind trick with you here. We're taking it again and making it real, who they were and what they did. And I need you to be honest. If this was somebody who sexually assaulted you and verbally assaulted you, just don't write verbally assaulted. Write both. Because both affected you. The person and the cause. Column three is the effect. What effect has it had on you? It's usually not too hard to see. Once you've identified the cause, it's usually easy to see what the effect is. And again, I'm not just hitting, just keep hitting the sexual assault thing, you know, willy-nilly, but it's something that's very real in society. And it's something that if you've been sexually assaulted, I can tell you something you have trouble with. You have trouble with intimacy. And I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about intimacy, period, closeness. When you've been hurt in that way by another person, it is hard for you to trust and be close with someone else. What will happen? When you start feeling yourself getting close, you'll start pushing people away. Because you can't trust people. That's what you've taught yourself. You will push them away. A good description I've heard by many, many people, and I think it's a great description because it describes it, that you have built a wall. You've put up a wall where you don't let people in. That is what, that is what these type of injuries will do to you. So that is the effect. I just can't, I just can't be close with somebody. Maybe you're, having, maybe you're having a hard time connecting with, with Yahweh as father. Maybe because that's because the person on your list is your father. And, and the effect was that, that, that you felt emotionally disconnected. And for that reason, now you feel emotionally disconnected to your father in heaven because that's just what you've learned. Our parents teach us how to relate to others. There's this thing called attachment therapy, or attachment theory. And attachment theory, if, if you're actually interested, I was, it's actually very interesting. It describes how we form human attachments. Again, there's some, there's some insightful stuff there. Attachment theory. Some Christian authors have written about it. But we learn at a very early age from our parents how to connect with people. So sometimes when we have a, a, an issue connecting with our Father in heaven, it's because we don't know how to connect with our Father on earth. Where we've learned dis, dysfunctional connections with people. That might, have, that might be, that might be the, the, the effect that it's had on you. Just being emotionally unavailable. Do you feel emotionally unavailable? Do you, when, you're, when you're with people or you're with your spouse or with your children, do you just feel a, a disconnect there? Let me tell you what, you're not alone. That's one of the most, that's one of the most deadly things in recovery is thinking that you're alone. Thinking that you're the only one who feels this disconnect. 
thinking you're the only person that has that wall, thinking you're the only person who doesn't trust other people because something has happened, you are not alone. There are people in this room, I guarantee you, who share experiences with you, even in a room this size. What is the effect? Column four is the damage. What has it done to me? Failed marriage? I can't keep a job? I don't want to be around people? This is the, the A in the moral acrostic. Analyze. You need to analyze your life. God's given you a brain to do this. So you're looking at the person. You're looking at what they did. You're looking at the effect it had on you. You're looking at how has this damaged you? How has this damaged your, your, your relationships? How has this damaged your life? And the last thing is my part. Column five in the inventory is my part. Sometimes our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups, sometimes we do have a part. You know, one of the biggest problems with, with, with society, it seems to me today, is this, this victim mentality. You, you know, that everything bad has happened, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm just a victim uh, nothing, I had no part in this. Well, sometimes, and, and I'm going to get back, don't, you, you have to follow me all the way out through this thing. Some of our hurts come from us playing a part in it. Let's say that my buddy Sally here, I said something mean to Sally. Well, Sally got hurt, so she said, said, said something mean to me. Well, I said something mean back to Sally. And then Barry gets into it, and we're starting to talk mean to each other. All of a sudden, he and I are in a fist fight over here. Did I have any part of what happened there? Did I have any part, even if Sally hurt me first, did I have any part in what happened here or what happened here? I did. So sometimes you have to acknowledge that you're not perfect and that you make mistakes and that you need to forgive yourself and other people. Here's, here's where it gets serious. When it comes down to my part, some of you need to understand you didn't have a part. Some things you don't have a part in. Let me promise you this. And I know I've been talking about this a lot, but this is... This, if you have ever been sexually assaulted, it's not your fault. You need to know that. It's not your fault. You were a victim. Does it mean you have to stay a victim? No. You can be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the burden that so many people bear. Some people are, they, they have been truly victimized. 
especially in, in, in sexual ways. They've been victimized. And they carry guilt with them. Well, what did I do? What did I do? I, I had to have done something. I was a bad person for that to happen to me. That's a lie from hell. What about if you're in the court system? You've told the police you were raped. It goes to court. Well, what's the defense's job? The defense's job is to make it look like you asked for it. Well, he or she was wearing something kind of scanty. She should have expected that. Or she had a little bit too much to drink. She should have known better not to be at that bar. She should have known better this. She should have known better that. Do you know that, do you know that she was a promiscuous person? She had all these relationships with these other people? Let me tell you something. That does not give the right to anybody to harm you in that way. It is not your fault. I don't care what you were wearing, what you were drinking. I don't care how many people you've slept with. You didn't ask for that, and you need to understand I had no part. I am not guilty. Stop carrying that weight. Stop carrying that weight. Not guilty. So if that was you in that column, column five, my part, I need you to write in big letters, none, or not guilty. Because you are carrying a load that is not the truth. You have been carrying a load that is a lie from hell that has been like a millstone wrapped around your neck. And you feel like you're in the ocean being drowned by this guilt for things that you had no part in. You didn't ask for that. Nothing you could ever do would make you somebody who deserved that. Domestic abuse. Just being assaulted by your spouse. I don't care how mouthy you got. You don't deserve to be hit. You don't. You don't. I'm going to say this to both genders. Men, I don't care what she says to you or what she's done to you. You either walk away or you can vent. I don't care what you do. You don't lay your hands on her. Women, I don't care what he's done. I don't care what he said to you. You don't have the right to hit them. Domestic abuse is never okay. It's never, 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 never okay. And I'll tell you what. My history as a cop is if I show up and you assaulted your spouse, you're going to jail. You're going to jail. And if you want to resist, I couldn't care less. God forgive me. <laughs> we need to keep it real. We need to keep it real. Friends, I don't care what your friend said. I don't care what your friend did. Keep your paws to yourself. Keep your paws to yourself. 
WWJD, what would Jesus do? God calls us to forgive. Jesus told us if somebody smacks you on the one cheek, you offer the other one. This may very well be hyperbole. <laughs> In fact, I argue that it kind of is. But the principle is God doesn't want you striking back in the way that you've been struck. Because while I was yet an enemy of the cross, Jesus still died for me. The hardest thing in the world, I think, is for a human to do, at least a dude, I know it is for me, is when somebody has harmed you in a certain way just to walk away. All of these things, all of these things I've been talking about, let's just ball this together in one big summation. In your life, you have been hurt. You have been hurt. You've been hurt by a parent, may or may not. You may have been hurt by a spouse. Again, you may have been hurt by friends, family. The closer you get, let people have gotten to you, the bigger the hurt usually is. It's time for you to deal with it, church. I don't want us to play church. If all I'm doing is coming here on Sunday mornings and not giving you anything that makes your life better, I'm just wasting your time and mine. This is where it gets real. This is where it gets real. This is where church gets real. It's time to deal with the hurt, church. Dig way back. Dig way back. Who's that person? What does that hurt? That's your homework.